Welcome to What Are You Reading, a podcast dedicated to leadership development through a commitment to reading. This is Phoebe Kalikoff, and this week I'm sitting down with retired Rear Admiral Margaret Klein. Rear Admiral Klein served on active duty for 35 years in roles spanning from E6 Squadron Commander to Commandant of Midshipmen at the U.S. Naval Academy to Chief of Staff of Cyber Command. Her last active duty assignment was as the Secretary of Defense's Advisor for Military Professionalism. Since her retirement in 2017, Rear Admiral Klein has served as Dean of Leadership and Ethics for the Naval War College and is also charged with assisting in the Navy's leader development strategy. Admiral Klein, thank you for joining me. Oh, thanks, Phoebe. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. So first and foremost, ma'am, what are you reading? So I'm a doctoral student. So, and my doctorate is about mentorship and ethical leadership. So I've read some really good, but very dated books on mentorship. So what I'll do as far as mentorship is Gene Anderson and Brad Johnson have written a couple of articles in Proceedings and the Naval War College Review maybe, but they're both Googleable. Uh, they've written good letters about mentorship or um, yeah, good articles. Um, Dave Smith has written extensively. I think he's about to release his second book, but he has written Athena Rising about men mentoring women. Um, the other half of my reading in my discretionary time is about ethical leadership, and they're all scholarly papers, so there's no book about ethical leadership, but I guess that's why I'll write my dissertation and turn it into something that's mm. readable. Something to look forward to. I will definitely look yeah. forward to reading that. Although I did just read General Dempsey's book just came, just came out, No Time for Spectators. And he does a really good of sewing lessons learned in there, things that he learned all the way from his time at West Point to his time on the national security staff, right, as the national security or as the president's national security advisor from the military standpoint as the chairman. Um, really good read and really easy. And uh, he does lots. He bounces back and forth between when he was chairman and when he was a cadet and lieutenant major. So it's a good read for any population. That has been on my list for since it came out. So I'm really glad to hear that positive review. Maybe I'll bump it up a little bit on my list. Can I ask you, have you always been an avid reader and how have you prioritized reading in the different segments of your life? Yeah, so I think that is exactly how I would describe my uh, my tendency or inclination to read. My mother was an avid reader and going to the library was what we did every week when I was a kid. And uh, so that got me into the habit of reading. I was not a great student, so I kind of burned out reading uh, in school. And then kids came along and while I read to them, I didn't do a lot of reading for myself until the kids were kind of in high school and they really you know, didn't wanna have as much to do with their parents, so I started reading mm. again. One of the other things I'd say about reading is that a class I went to one time kind of talked about life as the four holes in a button. 
And they said, you know, there are kind of four parts to your life, right? There's your professional life and your personal life, but then there's your civic life, your engagement in your community and your spiritual life. So that was probably 10 or 15 years ago. And from that point on, I tried to balance my reading across those four parts of my life. So I thought that was great, a great way to think about how you use your time and your energy. Right. And that not every publication is going to fill a purpose in every aspect of your life because you're not just your job and you're not just your role as a partner or a parent. Yeah. I really like that. How would you say reading has made you a better thinker or a better person? So I love that question. My experience in the Navy, right? I, a lot of my time, like the last 10 years of my time in uniform or in joint assignments. And so you bring your Navy experience to any conversation and then you listen to others and you learn from their experiences. But in my last five years in uniform, I dealt with a lot of people who had gone on to get advanced degrees and they were so well read. Mm. There are leaders I've worked for who are also really well read. Admiral Richardson, I'd talk to him from time to time and hit just casually, I'd make a couple book recommendations and say, oh, I'll read those two this weekend, right? So I'm like, ah, I'll get through it in a couple weeks, right? Oh, and he'll knock it off in a couple, you know, a couple in a weekend. So it, you know, so reading books, right? It's one thing to kind of stay up on current events and that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I found was reading books and, and now it's scholarly articles, but reading books helps you do a much deeper dive. And I thought that the people who were well-read didn't just say, here I am, I'm great. Look at all the things I've done. They were, here's my experience in the context of the broader environment, right? And so if you're in whatever service, right, whatever uniform you wear, you wear that uniform, that's your experience. You've worked for amazing people, I hope. Um, But the world, right, in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, right, every decade, you know, every decade there's a significant shift. Um, And so context matters and reading is a way to get to that depth and understand the context of what happened in Vietnam and what happened after 9-11. And uh, it just, our, our time in uniform, we all serve and we all serve for many of the same reasons, but the context in which we serve can be so different from generation to generation. Mm hmm and it's important to be able to make those connections and reading can really inform those types of connections very much so very much so although you know there's a it's it's important to understand the connections right so you want to read classics you know there's got to be a mix of some classics with some more current you know novels oh by the way nonfiction is nonfiction is not the only reading that i do i love reading fiction I'm glad to hear that. Do you have any any favorites on your mind right now? Any good fiction books? I'm looking for one. Okay, so go back and read Harry Potter, right? Because I, re- <laughs> I, I read them to my kids, which was a number of years ago, but 
it is like on the top of my fiction list to go back to um, when I finish my doctorate, when I finish my dissertation. You are not the first guest on this podcast to recommend Harry Potter to really anyone, um, especially for people who maybe have lost the joy of reading and see it more as a chore than they do as a form of relaxation, self-reflection. Harry Potter is always on my list and maybe I will have to bump that up. We'll see where that falls out with General Dempsey's new book. Yeah. So, you know, I can, let me ask you a question real fast. And, um, you know, one of the things I have gone back and forth with, and I don't know if you and your listeners have done this, but hard copy versus Kindle Nook, you know, e-reader, right? I love my bookshelf with my old hardcover Harry Potter books. I love the convenience of having jumping on an airplane when that was a thing and having two or three books, like depending on what mood I was in, having two or three books to jump into. So I don't know what your, I don't know what your listeners think or what you think. This is such a great question. It also came up in a different episode of this podcast. I love the Kindle, but it will never replace hard copy for me. Now, that being said, I'm really careful about which books I choose to buy hard copy. And the Kindle has afforded also the opportunity to borrow books from the library virtually in a way that right now we can't go to the library and get books. So it's so incredible to be able to just download them to my Kindle. So I'm I'm about 50-50. What about you? Yeah, I, I think so. And it's kind of funny. I've, um, I too am deliberate about what books I buy because I found when I moved into an office that had actual bookshelves, I wanted to be able to use those as props, not just decoration props, but when you bring people in, it's really a tactile thing to be able to turn around, pull a book off a shelf and say, you know, this is what I learned from this book. That's just not something that happened. Well, it's not the way my brain works. And and though I can keep notes in my Kindle and things like that, it's more for internal consumption. When I want to have a conversation with somebody and when I'm in my office in Newport, mm-hmm. I frequently will pull a book off and, and oftentimes offer to lend it to people. It's a wonderful thing and absolutely not possible with a Kindle. You're right. I'm picturing opening the Kindle and saying, look at, let me pull up the note that I made on this. It doesn't, it just doesn't work the same way. Moving back a little bit to your current role uh, at the Navy War College, can you talk a little bit about how your leadership and ethical philosophy developed and how over the course of your career, that development led to where you are now, which is teaching this to others? Sure. So um, I really love that question because we all develop. Uh, In the course of starting my dissertation, I kind of had to retrace my steps and understand what shaped me. What I, the conclusion I came to um, was that my mentors, that people had a significant influence on me. And for the most part, it was positive. I'd say easily 80-20, very positive. I was so fortunate to have role models who helped me think. And one of the 
one of the ways I explain this to civilians is that the role that mentors played for me was to help me understand the social and informal fabric of my first squadron, right? Or any organization, because in the military, in any of the services, right? There are piles of books in, you know, in the army, there's doctrine, the Marine Corps, there's doctrine, in the Navy, we had NATOPs and, you know, SORMs and, you know, just alphabet soup your way through any number of regulations. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you understand like what's going to really get you in trouble or how do you help? How do you understand this and how do you understand kind of the timing of all of it? And so that's where I thought people helped me understand. But then as I matured, my, you know, my career is as my career advanced, I found the more experience I had, the more varied my experience was, the more I relied on reading to inform that. And I could catch bits and pieces from role models and from people who had had similar experiences to mine. But that's when I thought, um, as an example, I keep meditations, Marcus Aurelius's Mm. books, right? Mm -hmm. Meditations at my bedside. Now, that is not an original thought. I'm going to say that it was General Mattis who kind of said, hey, this is this is something I read frequently. And that was when he was at Central Command. Mm. And so I relied much more heavily on reading classics, or I can't tell you that I'm well versed in Aristotle and Socrates. But starting to read causes you to look at authors and then look at who those authors read, right? One of the things that happened when I was at the, uh, at the Pentagon on the secretary staff is I had one of General Dempsey's speechwriters working with me. And he was the one who's like, oh, that's a good book. Let's call the author. And, you know, they, I'm sure they answered the phone for him and then for me because of who we worked for, not because of who we were. But to find out what those people read, you know, you get to write their book. But I will tell you, the best question to ask an author, if you have the opportunity or if you're a speechwriter at some point in your career, call the author, ask them what they weren't able to fit in their book. And it just, we had some, we had some great stories as a result, great conversations as a result of just calling the authors and asking them, so what else? What didn't fit in the book? What was the story? Why did you write the book? And so, you know, that kind of takes reading to a whole different level. But you serve your boss really well, not just, hey, I read this good book, which is what I would do to Admiral Richardson, but he'd then go call the author. And so when you're the head of the largest Navy in the world, right, people answer the phone. Mm-hmm. So I would say, uh, think about that if you go to be a speechwriter. Yeah, so that's what podcasts do, right? So the author, the author can reach you know thousands of people, and by doing an interview on a podcast. But it is a back and forth, and to kind of answer the question you asked is, you know, you don't just read a book and present it to students. You have to open the world that the book presents. I often talk about books as windows to the outside world, especially. For those of us who serve in uniform, or in my case, served in uniform, right, it's a window into another part of the world that we're probably not going to get to experience ourselves. And so I think that is the way we enjoy teaching 
And I would say that both leader development and ethics, which is its own discipline, right? Not, and when I say ethics, I don't mean the lawyer's ethics. That's important, but not sufficient. Mm-hmm. Philosophers also teach ethics, and that's why we read Aristotle. You know, when I look at the mentoring relationship that he had with Alexander the Great, right? And, and so teaching, when we think about teaching both leader development, which I'm not sure we're teaching leader development, but we're opening doors for people to learn themselves what they need to bring on board. But then ethics, you know, the philosopher's side of ethics, that is something where it's much more of a guided conversation and it's guided learning because people have been studying philosophy for thousands of years and we need to understand we don't have to buy into a specific brand of philosophy, but it's really helpful to understand. And so that's how it's that learning that we take to our ethics courses at the War College. And I'm really struck by your description of the way that the context informs both ethics um, and philosophy, but it's those both span history and many themes are consistent today that were consistent when Aristotle was writing. I'm reading, um, it's historical fiction, but it's called My Dear Hamilton. And it's it's from the perspective of Eliza Hamilton looking at the life of her husband. And um, it is so interesting, some of the moral and ethical dilemmas that are evident from uh, the perspective of a character that we otherwise haven't heard much from. And those lessons absolutely are relevant to my life. Historical fiction, oh my gosh, as a genre, right? Right. I didn't know it existed. History was so hard for me at the Naval Academy. Like the thought of memorizing dates just made me crazy. And so Killer Angels was my first foray into historical fiction. I was like, oh, why didn't they teach me this? Like I get that it's not factually exact, right? But it made... Gettysburg, it brought Gettysburg to life for me, right? For me, the layperson, not the historian. And I take nothing away from historians, but it just, it brought Gettysburg to life for me. I feel the same way. It's difficult for me to put my, it's difficult for me to rote memorize something that I can't envision myself as a part of. And Killer Angels helps me do that. And so does my dear Hamilton. I recommend it. All right, I'll put it on my list. I'd love to turn to a quote I read from a piece that you wrote. You talk about ethical fitness, and it really made me think about the muscle of our ethics and how how do you exercise your ethical muscle? So we've, and I wish I remembered the author that introduced this as a concept. You know, some of the people who make um, ethics, integrity, very readable are like Daniel Kahneman and Dan Ariel, Dan Ariely, right? He wrote this book, The Honest Truth About Dishonesty, and he's got several uh, TED Talks. He's got a few really good TED Talks, and you can Google either Kahneman 
or Ariely, and they they bring they bring a very practical side. And it's probably I probably learned this from Ariely. Just as it is, just as you can't just read about physical fitness to get physically fit, there is a difference. Um, between reading about being an ethical decision making decision maker, there is a difference between reading. I mean, you have to read about it first to help anticipate the issues that you might come across, especially when you're going to a leadership position, and and so that's incredibly important. But the act of living our everyday lives, our opportunities to develop moral fitness. And you can approach it in many different ways. You can catch yourself every time you don't do exactly as you say. And I think Ariely uses this uses the example of the speed limit, right? When If you were to ask all your listeners, are you an ethical leader? Are you a moral person? They, of course, would say yes. And even if we know we're imperfect, we certainly strive to be ethical and strive to be moral. I, I got to tell you, like, it's not applicable today because I don't drive very much. But if, like, I don't think I, I don't think I ever get in the car and don't break the speed limit. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that you have to cause an, a wreck on I-5, right, by driving the speed limit, because that wouldn't be helpful. But mm-hmm. your awareness of what you're doing when you step outside, you have a, your own moral code, right? Becoming cognizant of when you're doing things outside your perceived moral code is a great exercise to do. And that's a, you know, that's a small thing. The reason you know, the reason we, um, you know, one of the things at the Naval Academy, right, you'd have uniform races and and you would not, you would be professionally embarrassed to, to walk outside your room out of uniform. Well, that's a discipline, that's muscle memory, right, that you also, you know, you don't, you want to go out to every time you step outside your dorm room your room in Bancroft Hall or wherever, right? You're trying to be the best you. And you do that by making sure that you're a good roommate or you're a good squad mate or a good company mate. And why do you do those things? It's loyalty to the Constitution, right? Loyalty to the oath you took to the Constitution. One of the things that we discussed with Secretary Hagel was the simple act of having a conversation about your morals and about the organization's ethos and ethic um, is a great exercise to get you into the habit of thinking about what you're doing. Oftentimes, people want to just study when things go wrong. I'm a huge proponent of studying the organizations that do really well and how they do well and do they have a healthy culture and do they have a strong ethic and do they look out for each other in supporting our oath to the constitution, supporting the Navy. And you know, there's some questions that you can ask yourself on a daily basis that apply to you that really help you get in that get that moral muscle memory going 
and, mm -hmm. uh, and are really important in, in helping you so that if you are ever tested on a big level, on a huge level and in an important level, right, then you'll at least have the muscle memory to have said, yeah, I know what the right thing is to do and to give your brain a couple milliseconds to catch up with, you know, one half of the brain and the other uh, to catch up with each other to go, okay, you know, the right thing to do. Now let's do it. Right. This was a tremendous leadership lesson for me when I was serving as a division officer. I feel confident in my moral compass and I, I try to exercise my ethical muscle regularly. But what I absolutely did not think about is how I am putting people that I'm responsible for in positions where they are going to have to use theirs and in which direction they're going to be pushed based on my leadership. It was a huge um, sort of revelation for me that I could unintentionally be putting people in, in positions where they would be tested and perhaps would not know the right direction yeah, to go. Yeah. Say, do alignment, right? You're making sure words and actions are aligned is one of the easiest oral muscle memory exercises, right? Just checking yourself. Mm. But yeah, that's a great example, Phoebe. Right. Thank you. Ma'am, this has been really wonderful. Do you have anything else you'd like to add for the audience before we close out? Yeah, so reading, right, reading, it, depending on the phase of life, um, you know, reading is incredibly important. Um, but just as you just talked about being a division officer, people seeing you read is just as important as you reading, right? Because you can talk about reading being important, but if people don't ever, they're not going to probably walk by your stateroom and see you reading a book, right? Um but talking about what you read can be a great icebreaker. We all look for connections. And sometimes, right, if our demographics are very different, sometimes having a group of people that like is a book club, what not practical right in the operational environment, but something that you can do once you get qualified, um, it's a great bridge um, to practice being inclusive to invite other perspectives in. And so, you know, we often think of reading to enrich ourselves and help us be better leaders, but it can also be a bridge builder. And so I would just, I guess I would leave you with that. Thank you. I'm immediately going to go to my command and make sure that our library is well stocked. Um, and thank you so much, Admiral Klein. This has been really great. Thanks for joining me on What Are You Reading? Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of What Are You Reading? A podcast produced through partnership with DOD Reads. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, and share it. Leave us a comment with your answer to the question, what are you reading? Also visit dodreads.com for free books, book reviews, interviews with your favorite authors, and many more free professional development resources. See you next week. Mm -hmm.